Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 15. We have five stories to get to, all coming from the week of April 3rd. So let's get started. Story number one comes from Newsmax. Here's another story of how the state is using the public school system to undermine and exclude parents. In California, a new bill passed the Assembly Judiciary Committee this week. Assembly Bill 665 is titled Minors, Consent to Mental Health Services. This bill would amend current law, and it proposes that minors as young as 12 years old be eligible to receive mental health services from a school counselor, government agency, therapist, psychologist, or residential shelter, all without parental consent, involvement, or knowledge. That's what this new bill wants, to provide these services to a 12-year-old without parental consent. The current state law says that if, quote, in the opinion of the counselor, end quote, parental involvement would be inappropriate, then parents don't have to be notified that their child is receiving mental health services. All right? It's just based on the opinion of the counselor. That's the current law. The new bill says that parents don't have to be notified if the counselor, quote, determines parental involvement is inappropriate. So notice the change in language from current law to proposed new bill. It goes from the counselor's opinion to quote unquote, the counselor determines. This puts the counselor above reproach. They're the ones who determine the child's needs, not the parents. The current state law says that mental health services can only be given if the child quote, presents a danger of serious physical or mental harm to themselves or to others or to be the alleged victim of incest or child abuse, end quote. According to this new bill, the only requirement for a 12-year-old to receive mental health services without parental consent, the only requirement is that they are, quote, mature enough to participate intelligently in the outpatient services or residential shelter services, end quote. And who decides if the child is, quote, unquote, mature enough and intelligent enough? The school counselor, of course, the therapist, the psychologist, the government social worker. The new bill would remove every one of those qualifiers, physical harm, incest, abuse, which means a 12-year-old can walk into the school counselor's office, say they're being abused at home or that my parents don't support my transgender identity, and that child could legally be taken to a facility or residential shelter that day and not return home after school. So child goes to school, never comes home again, because the state has removed the child from your family. The only thing standing in the way is the opinion, oh, excuse me, the determination of one counselor, one therapist, or one government worker. So it's hard to fathom that a bill like this would even be proposed at all, but the sooner that we wake up to this reality, parents, teachers, the sooner the better. This stuff is no longer being hidden 
or snuck in through the back door. It's being done in broad daylight and it's being held up as the moral standard. Story number two comes from Fox News. This story shows how insane and how prevalent forced speech has become in our schools. Apparently, if you use the terms ladies and gentlemen in a public school, you can get fired. So a public school district in Massachusetts hired a new superintendent who happened to be a man. Prior to his start date, the man sent an email to two women who were on the school committee. He wanted to discuss his salary and his benefits. At the top of that email, he addressed the two women as quote unquote ladies. And then he went on with the rest of his email. Well, it turns out that his use of the word ladies was interpreted as microaggression, hostile, and derogatory. According to the two women, the fact that this man would even use the word ladies in a public school setting, that was a problem. So this quote unquote issue was taken to the school committee and a new vote was cast to rescind the job offer, essentially firing the man for addressing two women as ladies. The man stated that to him, the terms ladies and gentlemen are a sign of respect and that he certainly didn't mean to insult anyone, but that doesn't matter nowadays because the woke police are out in full force. So for teachers in public schools, this is a legitimate fear that they're dealing with on a daily basis, using the wrong word or pronoun with the wrong person and then losing their job over it. When I taught for Chicago public schools, teachers were instructed to use preferred pronouns and always affirm transgender students. And failing to do so would be harmful, disrespectful, hateful, and damaging. Personally, I was careful to use students' first names and just avoid pronouns altogether. I had to be thoughtful about how I structured my sentences so that I never used he or she, but I always used their name. I did this because I consider the act of affirming a person's trans identity, I consider that to be the same as lying to them. Addressing a biological boy as a girl or a girl as a boy is not only inaccurate, but it's a lie. It's simply not true. As I discussed in the previous episode, the root of the word gender is genus and is directly linked to biological sex and reproductive roles. So for you parents and teachers out there, uh, you can either wait until you eventually use the quote unquote wrong word and then face the consequences like the superintendent did, or you can go to your administrators now and ask them what their policy is on these issues. Story number three comes from The Daily Wire. This story is about whether or not schools are actually indoctrinating kids with critical race theory and gender theory. Randy Weingarten is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, which is the second largest teachers union in America, second only to the NEA. She was perhaps the leading advocate for keeping schools closed during COVID and then blamed anyone and everyone but herself for the learning loss that students experienced. She has repeatedly denied claims that schools are teaching critical race theory or woke ideologies. She also stated that criticizing public schools is, quote, 
stoking fear and division, including attempting to pit parents against teachers and to replace them with private, religious, online, and homeschools, end quote. So first of all, read my book because I talk about this quite a bit. Her response is baloney. Her tactic is just deny, 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 accuse, accuse, accuse. And that way, she doesn't have to justify her own actions or actually debate anyone. So let's go over these issues one at a time because the gaslighting and the lying can be confusing and it can keep people off balance. Let's start with critical race theory. Weingarten says that schools are not teaching critical race theory, which I say is baloney because schools 100% are teaching critical race theory. I experienced it. In my teacher training at Chicago Public Schools, I was trained on intersectionality, which is the idea that people with certain privileges, white people, Christians, men, they use their privilege, quote unquote, to abuse and oppress others to achieve power, wealth, and status. So the concept of intersectionality was created by Kimberly Crenshaw. Do you know what else Kimberly Crenshaw helped create? Wait for it. Critical race theory. So when Weingarten or anyone else for that matter claims that schools are not teaching critical race theory, it's like saying, okay, I'm teaching from the book of Genesis, Proverbs, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Revelation. But I'm not teaching the Bible. Don't be silly. That's the argument she's making. Again, I discuss all this in my book. The next point, Weingarten claims that criticizing public schools is quote unquote, stoking fear and division and pitting parents against teachers, end quote. So the only alternative, according to her, is that nobody should ever criticize public schools. Well, yeah, that would be real nice for her and for the teachers unions, duh. Sure, let's, you know, let schools push critical race theory and gender theory on kids you know, let us remove parents from the education process and then, you know, never be criticized for it. Sounds like a pretty sweet deal for the public schools. Unfortunately for Weingarten and for the woke school system, kids actually belong to their parents, not government schools. In my own teacher training, I was taught to hide a student's trans identity from their parents. This is a common practice across the country and this policy is what stokes fear and division. It stokes fear in the heart of parents and teachers that if they don't affirm their trans child, that the child will commit suicide. It stokes fear in the teachers that if they don't affirm a trans student or if they don't lie to parents about it, that they'll lose their jobs. It stokes division between parents and children by undermining the role of parents and removing them from the most intimate details of their child's life. It's these secrecy policies that are pitting parents against the teachers. It's not the people who speak out against it. Weingarten, in essence, is blaming the victim for being victimized and holding the perpetrator up as the virtuous one. It's sick. The message that children are not receiving, that they need to receive, is that God loves them. And that when God created man and woman, he said his creation was good. And that's something that we should be affirming. Finally, I do have to admit that Weingarten is right about one thing. She stated that people who are critical of public schools like me 
would love to see government-run schools replaced with private schools, religious schools, and homeschools. Well, if our government schools are pushing critical race theory and gender theory and undermining parents, yeah, I'd say 100% replace the government schools. She is right about that. So parents, teachers, you got to know what's going on. And you got to remember recent history because the gaslighting is real. They'll blame anyone and everyone so that they can be off the hook. Story number four comes from The Daily Caller. I often tell parents who have kids in public or private schools to pay close attention to the special programs, the special weeks, or special speakers that their school promotes. Events like Pride Week and the Transgender Day of Visibility. These special events can be used big time to indoctrinate kids and push radical ideologies. And kids love these special events because it's out of the ordinary. It's something different. And it usually means, you know, you get out of math class or English class to go participate in the special program. And these programs are almost never part of the curriculum. And they're almost never part of the state standards. They're almost always political and social in nature. So this is one of those stories. The Chandler Unified School District in Arizona had their spring break in March. And on their district website, their counseling and social services department posted a recommended community activities list uh, that students could do during their spring break. So according to the school, these recommended activities were meant to, quote, provide supports for our queer students, end quote. Now, just to be clear, the word queer can refer to a sexual identity or sexual orientation that is not heterosexual. So some very reasonable questions would be, why are schools providing 11-year-old children with this type of sexual material? And isn't this what sexualizing children looks like? Well, let's look at these community activities that were recommended by the school's counseling department. The community activities were hosted by a local organization called 1N10, which is a nonprofit charity serving LGBTQ youth and young adults ages 11 to 24. So if students are looking at the school's calendar and they want to know more about one of these activities, they can just click a link and it takes them to the 1 in 10 organization's website. So here are some of the activities hosted by this group that were recommended by the school and listed on the school's calendar. The first activity is called Together and Color, Black Women Authors Unite, end quote. This is where queer students discuss their favorite black authors and read a book called Tar Baby, which teaches about the betrayal between blacks and whites. Another activity is called Trans and Gender Nonconforming Hair Journey. This is where students and adults in the community can talk about their quote-unquote hair journey and how it impacts their gender identity. Then there's an activity called Queer Island Utopia, where teen students and grown adults discuss what their own LGBTQ paradise would look like. Now, I just want to point out that academic activities like math, science, speech, debate, finance were nowhere to be found on this school's 
a calendar list of recommended activities. Now, once students are on the organization's website, they can learn about all of the other activities offered by this charity, such as Lesbian Visibility Day, coming out events, and an activity called Animation Domination, where students are encouraged to bring friends and discuss queer representation in cartoons. There's also an activity called quote-unquote self-pleasure, which they describe as a mature conversation about self-pleasure with an LGBTQIA lens. Yes, self-pleasure. To be fair, this activity is for 18 to 24-year-olds only, but it's posted on the same website as the other activities that are recommended by the school. So the school's counselors are directing students as young as 11 years old to a quote-unquote charity where 24-year-olds are learning about and openly discussing the concept of self-pleasure. And remember, all of the other activities allow 24-year-olds to join in with the 11-year-old students. So more than likely, you'll have the same adults that are in the self-pleasure activity having discussions with students as young as 11 years old about being queer, gay, and trans. So does anybody else recognize that schools are obsessed with discussing sex with children, particularly gay and queer sex? Teachers and parents, you need to pay close attention to these special programs at your school and really vet them because like I just talked about, they can be just bursting at the seams with all kinds of inappropriate materials. Story number five comes from Fox News. This story comes from Loudoun County School District in Virginia, which has just been a magnet for controversy and scandal in the last few years. Uh, this story is all about the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and what you can and cannot say in schools. A high school teacher in the Virginia School District quoted the Bible verse John 3.16 in her work email signature. That means at the bottom of every email she sent out, uh, you would see her signature, which would include her name and the verse from John 3.16, which reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. End quote. Well, the teacher was told by school officials that she could not use a verse from the Bible in her signature because it violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. The teacher's lawyers pushed back, saying that the school's refusal constitutes religious discrimination. A representative for the school stated in regard to the scripture, quote, These communications are not private expression, but rather constitute school-sponsored speech bearing the ostensible endorsement of the school division. Loudoun County Public Schools currently permits its employees to personalize their school email signature blocks. As a public employer, Loudoun County Public Schools has an interest in regulating the speech of its employees, particularly as such express speech imputes to Loudoun County Public Schools general endorsement thereof, end quote. So to sum it up, the school is gung-ho about endorsing preferred pronouns, pride flags, all that in email signatures, but not verses that say God loves them. The school doesn't want to endorse anything like that. 
So let's do a quick recap of some of the things that schools do and do not allow nowadays. Teaching five-year-olds about sex and gender theory, schools allow that. School-wide celebrations of Pride Month and trans visibility, schools love that. Allowing boys to use the girls' bathrooms, locker rooms, and play girls' sports, schools allow that. Manipulating children into gender transitions while hiding it from their parents, schools allow that. Teaching intersectionality, which says that Christians and white men are abusive and threatening, schools allow that. But quoting the most well-known Bible verse on the planet that says how much God loves the whole world, well, school's got to draw the line at this. That's hateful and dangerous rhetoric. So parents, teachers, if you're a Christian and you're in the public schools, are you prepared for this kind of discrimination? You can't talk about God. You can't quote the Bible. What if you wear a cross necklace? What if you read your Bible during lunch and leave the Bible on your desk and someone sees it? There are a million little instances just like this that will eventually take place. So I encourage you all to stand strong. Don't back down to this type of godlessness. But like the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. Well, that's all I have for you this week. That's the state of state schools. We'll see you next time.